Hello, Canada and the rest of the world, and welcome once again to the Netflix Podcast, the show where we normally review the movies available to stream on Canadian Netflix. But that's not what we're here to do today, because today is a special bonus episode. It's the first time we've ever done one of these, and what we're going to be doing is in honor of London Musical Theatre Productions' presentation of Heather's The Musical, we are here to talk about Heather's. So I've got the best possible group of people together to talk about Heather's and Heather's the Musical. First up to my right, we have Vanessa Brown, co-proprietor of Brown and Dixon, a local bookshop here in London, Ontario. And I believe Vanessa may in fact be the biggest Heather's fan of all time. I think that's probably true, Dylan. My second guest, you'll remember her from our last conversation about adventures in babysitting, expert in 80s teen movies. And she's here because of her work in marketing and publicity for Heather's The Musical. Welcome back, Deanne Conrad. Woo! Sorry, I didn't cheer for you, Vanessa, and I cheered for myself. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Super rude. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. And lastly, to my left, not that the directions really matter, we have got Mr. Ian Badger. Ian is the director of this production of Heather's The Musical. Welcome, Ian. Thank you for having me. Thank you for doing this, and thank you for putting on this production. Yes, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I felt like London really needed this. uh, London and Vanessa specifically. Mostly me. Mostly me. Yeah. Well, normally this is the part where we would start talking about how this movie is described on Netflix, the categories it belongs to, but this movie is not on Netflix. So It's not on Canadian Netflix. Which means it's not on Netflix, you damn pirate. <laughs> but loophole, it used to be. Because yes. I spent many a night coming home from the bar and putting on Heathers every night and like, passing out to it and sending my friends like weird Instagram and Snapchats. It used to be, so technically... Netflix. No. <laughs> <laughs> nice try. No, okay. But this is why it's a special, special episode. Bonus episode. Special, special. Yeah. So uh, thank you for the pass on that. Um, so yeah, Heathers is, uh, yeah. I, I want to start off by asking uh, what everybody's relationship with Heathers is because I, uh, which I think was very shocking to everybody, uh, had never seen it before. This is I was not only... shocking to me, Dylan. <laughs> I... Every movie I love, Dylan has never seen <laughs> It's a godfather. <laughs> yeah, I, I like. I think in my head, I actually had it a little bit confused with Splash. Like, I just what? okay. <laughs> like, That's I, like this. This is how ignorant I was of it. So okay. imagine me then looking at the poster and seeing Winona Ryder hugging Christian Slater, <laughs> being like. Like, this is what you guys all wanted to do and do a musical about? So then I, I watched also, it and yeah, it completely... Yeah, I when I'm like, Dylan, we're doing this really cool play called Heathers. And you're like, you're going to get a mermaid on stage. Like, it's <laughs> your thought process. <laughs> totally. This I need to see. <laughs> There's a plexiglass tank. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's a lot of chlorine involved. Real mermaids. Gets yeah. a little messy. Yeah. Um, so, Vanessa, uh, why don't you tell us a little, bit of, a little bit about your relationship with Heathers? I was home from high school. I think I may have been skipping. I may have been sick. I was probably skipping. And um, <laughs> sorry, teachers. And I caught this movie, Heathers, and I didn't catch like the beginning, but I caught most of it. And it was amazeballs. And you remember how City TV used to have like the late great movie? And yes. they basically played the same movie three times a day. Mm-hmm. So they played it like in the afternoon at two, then in the evening at like seven, and then they played, or no, nine. And then they played again at like two in the morning. So I set the VCR to play, like, to record it at two in the morning. And then I started watching it obsessively. Like, every day after school, I'd get home and I'd watch Heathers. And this movie just became a touchstone for me. It captured all of the teen angst that I had and it sort of channeled 
my really strange development as a person. And I have to say, I adopted a lot of life philosophies from this film that don't involve murdering anybody. <laughs> However, <laughs> that, no, yet. yet. Um, but yeah, it, it, Heather's is a really key film for me. I've watched it literally hundreds of times. Uh, how about you, Deanne? Uh, actually, it's funny. Very similar story. City TV was my first introduction to Heather's. And it's hilarious because when they would play it at eight or seven, when it was first on, they'd have to bleep everything out. So when I actually got to the point where I'm like, okay, I've seen bits and parts of this movie about 10 times. Like, I'm actually going to go down to the corner video store and rent the VHS um, <laughs> to actually, like, hear the language. Also, I'm dating myself, but love those VHS deals. But to hear, like, the actual quotes and all of its, like, glory, like, fuck me gently with a chainsaw, it would be like, Mark me gently with a chainsaw or, like, Fun me gently with the chainsaw, but they'd have a weird voiceover. Fudge. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's also crazy is when that happens and there were scenes that they cut out yes. to fit it onto TV, and then you're like watching, it feels like you're watching amazing deleted scenes from your favorite movie, even yeah. though they were actually always in the movie. Yeah. 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 It's like, um, just going off a tangent here, but when I watched Die Hard, like for the first few years of my life when I saw it, it was always on TV. So I thought the one epic quote was yippee ki Mr. Falcon and then I saw the actual <laughs> movie and I'm like this is so much more epic than I thought it was but I had a lot of realizations like that during Heather's and since that time I think when I was 12 when I got my meaty little hands on it I was obsessed like all the sleepovers my friends and I were watching it we like were trying to bring back scrunchies and blazers and so when Ian told me that he was doing this production, I was like, can I just be a part of it? Like, let me be on your team. And thankfully, he's like, yeah, come on, Deanne. You, you can do something here. Right. <laughs> yeah, wow. <laughs> <laughs> little trip down memory lane. For you well, I was, uh, I was trying to convince my wife. I was like, just watch this with me. Like, we haven't spent a whole lot of time together. I know you're not interested, but like, let's watch the trailer. And in the trailer, there's a censored line where it's the, why do you have to be such a bitch? But it was like, <laughs> Why do you have to be such a jerk? <laughs> like that, you really lose a lot yeah, of the impact on that. True. Was that the one, there is one out there where it was originally called Lethal Attraction, I think. And it would just oh, be like, no. Lethal Attraction. And then they would like cut through scenes of the movie and then it's just be like, Lethal Attraction. <laughs> yeah, they were trying to combine Fatal Attraction and Lethal Weapon. Yes. Right? Yeah. Because that is the perfect analogy for yeah, Heathers, exactly. right? Yeah. <laughs> what? It was like... Um, it's bananas. Like Danny German... Germany or something tried to release it like that? I don't know. Was, uh, Maybe that's the one country. I'm watching then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't get the plot. Just to say there was some... Uh, language barriers there. So how about you, Ian? What's your what's your history with Heathers? My history with Heathers would be around a little later than these guys. It would be around high school. Um, it's something that I watched. Um, I did have to go to my local blockbuster. I will point that out. And yeah, it just really struck a chord with me as a teenager. Um, it It is. You kind of like build like a mantra out of it and you kind of, it affects you as a young person and you're like, okay, Sure, I won't kill everyone in my school, but I have thought about it. So it's yeah. just, they can all blow up. That wouldn't be terrible. It just takes your team ang angst to that extreme. But yeah. at the time, that's how I think we all really felt. Yeah. Like, because everything was just exponentially, like, it, huger. Uh, yes, it feels bigger. And that's the nice thing about the musical. It kind of 
because with musicals, you kind of, everything gets exaggerated and it's a lot bigger. And so all that stuff that is happening in the movie that makes it so great is just heightened to musical numbers and <laughs> high kicks. And it's really interesting. Yeah. The, I mean, the movie so much is about melodrama. Like every time you see Veronica yeah. writing in her diary, it's it's frightening how manic she is as she's just like etching this like through four pages at a time she's writing so ferociously she's scraping it and she's yeah so it does seem like such a perfect fit to like get that heightened melodrama of a musical absolutely i think one of the things that's magic about heathers is that the sincerity of the angst and the darkness mm-hmm. does not change as you get older so when you watch it, that depressed version yep. of yourself that wakes up Sunday at like 1130 all maggoty with like, <laughs> you know, someone's like magic marker on you. But what what I'm trying to get at is that like you watch a movie like uh, a really great comparison. And I know some people will murder me for this, but uh, Pump Up the Volume has this uh, yes. really heightened ending where like the FCA is chasing them and they're embroiled <laughs> in this political drama. And like the kids are all rallying in this political rebellion. That doesn't happen in Heather's. The story stays personal. It's about individuals. And the the violence and the crime has proven itself to actually be realistic, which makes the film unnerving. But it also means when you watch it as a grown-up, that that dark part of you that was there when you were 15 and is still there is still present in that movie. And I think that's what makes it a cult classic because you can watch it at any age and it doesn't feel silly. Whereas, like, Pump Up the Volume is awesome, but there's a little part of you is like, it's like, okay, whatever, like, this Jeep chase with a helicopter is a little silly. But it's not silly that Christian Slater has a bomb strapped to himself, because that happens. Mm-hmm. That could yeah. that could happen. And I think when you get older, it just becomes even more real, like, after issues like Columbine, like, you're like, oh, this is entertainment, but yeah, God forbid, these things do happen. And now, as an adult, you look back and... You're like, people are messed up or struggling to an extreme that they can't deal with it. And a lot of people are going through that in high school. And I think in its campy, silly way, it does open up an opportunity for, you know, conversations. Yeah, like it legitimizes that depressed part of yourself instead of glossing over it or making it an after after school special, which Degrassi did in a way. But at the same time, Degrassi still has all the tropes of a TV show. But like Heathers overcomes all those tropes. And it goes to this dark place with zero abandon. Well, and it's apologies. Like, yeah, it's like, hey, like, hey, 15-year-old, you have actually sat in the bathroom with your mom's hair cutting scissors and <laughs> thought about slitting your wrists. You actually have. And like, this is for reals. And we take you seriously. This movie accepts and appreciates and values your reality. And that's what makes Heather's an incredible movie. Yeah, for, for me, I mean, being the, the newbie to all of this, I... Like watching it as an adult. <laughs> yeah, watching it as an adult in like a post-Columbine world. I know it's it's tough watching something so far removed from its original context because it was, you know, on the one hand, I was like, wow, this is dated. But then also, is this is this predicting high school violence or is this just kind of noticing the trend and getting, you know, and, and, and showing it to everybody? Or is this possibly leading towards the trend? Like it was... It's an interesting thing to try to kind of place as a as a recent artifact. Well, Heathers was actually cited when Columbine happened because JD wears a black trench coat, right? Yes. And like the black trench coats, like I remember I had an ex-boyfriend who really thought he was cool and he wore a black <laughs> trench coat all the time in high school <laughs> and they banned it and they told him he couldn't wear it anymore because of Columbine. Yeah. So like 
Heather's was there are actually articles on the internet like if you type in like Heather's movie Columbine you'll find people talking about how that movie led to that tragedy it seemed like it was both doing this really interesting balancing act of kind of like you said acknowledging and letting teenagers know like yes what you are feeling is like you are actually feeling it and we're not trying to say like it's not okay to feel it but some of the best lines from the movie are also from the parents who you know they've ridden through that it's not you know, when they were a teenager and from their kids being teenagers is not really that different like that the, the amazing line that uh you want to be treated like a human being yeah yeah yeah, they're, they're, they're yeah. Being treated like a human being like most of the time when people are complaining that they want to be being treated like a human being it's because they're being treated like a human being <laughs> yeah so you get these kind of glimmers of like it does get better and especially with JD at the end where you hate him but then also when you find out exactly why he's doing these things that he's doing and he's yes. struggling with his own he mother's suicide it. you're like I'm feeling both things for you at the same time where I just like I want you to get over yourself so very badly but what you're feeling is genuine you're you're feeling actual pain and it's not my place to tell you that it's not okay to feel that way well the film I'm sorry if I'm talking too much but the film satirizes the culture around suicide but it never once satirizes the feelings that lead to suicide absolutely and the Martha Dunstock character she's and that's the Hallelujah, Martha <laughs> yeah. Dunstock. She she's just this victim of abuse and she's like the only true innocent I found in both the the musical. She she ends up being like an amalgamation of Betty Finn and the Martha Dunstock character in the musical. Um and so she's Veronica's old best friend, so Betty is no longer in the musical. But she's kind of represents the innocence and like the hope and and then when you see that, like, this, she commits her suicide, you realize that, like, all hope is is lost in the show. And it's just, like, it's kind of, like, this powerful moment. And her, everything, like, the abuse leading up to it is because they've kind of popularized suicide at the school and they've kind of made it trendy. And so she's, like, following the trend. And it's really sad. And she's the one that's probably struggling the most. <clears throat> yeah, and she's the like, one who actually Martha. has all this abuse heaped on her. And they're so, so cruel to her. And I think, like... This is, again, uh, like me struggling with this as kind of an artifact of the 80s, which sounds like such a douchey 90s kid thing to say. (laughs) But, you know, like some of the ways that people are treated in that movie, like I recently got made fun of for saying this on a previous episode, but like I know of the 80s by reputation from watching them through through movies. But even Vanessa, when we were talking about Mean Girls, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, about a year ago, you know, I, I expressed like this isn't really what high school is like for me. And then, you know, you and Chris at the time, you said like, this we must have gone to a high different school high school. Is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, the reaction I got was like, no, this is what high school is like for a lot of people. So for me to watch Martha being treated that way, I was like, no, this is like inhuman. Like I was upset with the movie for treating her that cruelly. I was like, why would you why would you be doing that to this actress and to this character? Like this is right. inconceivable to me how how cruel this all is. Well, it's actually really fantastic from a, like a fat activism and body empowerment standpoint. Uh, what's interesting is uh, Daniel Waters, um, wait, he did Mean Girls. Mark Waters, <laughs> who did Heathers, they're brothers. Um, they wanted to cast like a, an actually obese person. Yeah. And the casting agent kept bringing like chubby girls who were just like cute and pretty, but kind of chubby. Mm-hmm. Like someone like, um, what was that talk show host who was in? Ricky Lake. Someone like Ricky oh. Lake, right? <laughs> yeah, they'd bring like Ricky Lake. And they were like, no, like we need like a fat person. And if you think about that actress playing that yeah. role 
And they even, like, they did everything they could to desexualize her. They put her yeah. in, like, sweatshirts. Mm-hmm. They cut her hair short. She doesn't wear makeup. They did everything they that could to amplify her. That tragic t-shirt that she's wearing when she walks out into the street. The yeah. big fun. Uh, yeah. Like, who bought her that shirt? And it's totally like a men's double XL. <laughs> There's a funny... Oh, right. It's the band. Yeah. yeah okay. I thought that, fun. like, her parents were just, like, dicks. <laughs> no. <laughs> like, here, honey, have this t-shirt. <laughs> Um, that actress is actually, she was a, um, stand-up comedian and she used to talk about like her body issues and stuff like that. And so her role is actually like mute in the show, but she was actually very positive about her own body image and she used to make jokes about it. And that was kind of like an interesting thing where they found her. They found her like at a comedy club. This is blowing my mind. Yeah. Yeah, I never knew that. I've done my research. (laughs) I've had to, but that makes me feel a lot better. Yeah. She was, she was comfortable with the way it was portrayed and. Oh, good. Because that's a real fat person's experience, right? I mean, that's one of the few film examples of like what it's like to be Mm -hmm. not just like chubby and like, oh my God, I need to lose 10 pounds. Like fucking like Heather Duke (laughs) versus like someone who is actually morbidly obese or death fat as we call it in fat fat activism circles and what they have to deal with with social stigma like i said i felt sometimes that the movie was cruel and what really put the nail in the coffin for that for me despite like the the uplifting ending and everything is that her credit in the movie is martha dunstock slash martha dump truck like they include the cruel nickname in the character name i was like just you just gave her validation through your antagonist just give her that through your protagonist but then just oh like as if we wouldn't remember what her name was as if like that was her her name as dump truck was so ingrained in our brains that we wouldn't understand what that's the depth of the satire though and forgive me for talking over you but like that's that's not the director being cruel that's the depth of their commitment to the satire right and i'm just i'm only speaking to my own experience i mean i think we'll get into the other topic later but you know yeah there was some satire that definitely went over my head in the rest of the movie as well. So. In the musical, she actually gets this musical number for her suicide. And yes, and it's um, it's actually one of the more touching songs in the entire show. And you have to like speak with actresses. And we have Tara Portis, um, who is portraying Martha Dumptrack, Martha Dunstock. And she's we had to talk with her about like sensitivity and if she'd be comfortable with it, obviously when we're casting her in this show, it's like, you do realize they make fun of you and your weight the entire time. And are you comfortable with this? And she's like, yes. She's like, it's fine. I understand. She's like, I got a booty. I can represent. Like, <laughs> yeah. Cause <laughs> that awesome. character yeah. is standing up for fat women everywhere. Exactly. And it's, it's a beautiful song. And when you realize it's like kind of her suicide note at the same time, you're just, it all hits really hard, <laughs> which is, yeah, it's a beautiful moment. So look for it in the musical when it comes out. Also, at the end of the movie, where Martha's on her little uh, motorized Scooter. wheeler, uh, and yeah, just, like, and she's like doing circles. Yeah, her and Veronica are just chatting like pals, and she's just doing circles around her. That's a very endearing moment, and it just it also proves that you sort of have to like cut off the heads of all the queen bees to sort of make everything right again. Well, and that was like the the ways that the characters react to Martha was was part of what was so upsetting like after her suicide because after help me out which heather dies first chandler Chandler. right so after heather chandler dies everybody goes through the motions of grieving but everybody is genuinely either indifferent or pleased that she is gone like nobody is actually (laughs) grieving her yeah 
which like not even her parents <laughs> <laughs> that's what my question was about martha dunstock's character like where are her parents in this whole situation right right and same with heather chandler like yeah. the only parents you see it's like ram's dad and veronica's parents and- yeah but then when we get to heather duke's reaction like that's when heather duke like goes from like grade b to grade a bitch is mm-hmm. when she is cruel about martha dunstock's attempted suicide and how she failed at it and she was just you know, following the pack and she couldn't even do that right. Like this person in this deepest pit of sorrow she's ever going to be in where she's deciding that, okay, this is the one thing that I can maybe be like the cool kids with and failing at that and being treated like that's the worst thing she could have done is failing her own suicide. That was so heart-wrenching to to see. And it's just like, that makes Heather Duke completely irredeemable. Like you cannot come back from that oh, at that no. point. Heather Duke was just waiting for that moment to take over. She was just waiting for Heather Chandler to be out of the picture like, <laughs> one way or another. If it wasn't at this point, it would have been when they went to like separate colleges or married different football stars or whatever people did in their <laughs> small American towns in the eighties. But well, and another re- way to read Martha Dunstock's character is that maybe she was the one who was truly suicidal all along. And once these other suicides came along, those few inhibitions that were keeping her from doing it disappeared. Mm-hmm. Like maybe she's not trying to be like one of the cool kids. Maybe she's actually the only genuine suicide attempt in the entire movie. I I think she she is. She, she is, yeah. yes. And that's what I find really powerful about her decision to just kind of give it up. And you're right. There's a point where Heather Duke's like just trying to be one of the popular kids and failing miserably in the musical. And it's just, you're like... Oh, what a bitch. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's like, she's the only one who actually has true emotions um, that haven't been orchestrated by JD or Veronica at this point. Like, Veronica's struggle is also very human. She just wants to have a boyfriend. <laughs> and she just wants to be loved. And she... And Martha also kind of... I found her themes in the show are that she just wants love at this point. In the musical. The musical version. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. What I'm sort of disappointed in the Veronica veronica character about is we wouldn't have a movie if this didn't happen it's like she's so strong and intelligent and well-spoken and beautiful and she's again she fell in line with these heathers because they're like we'll make you popular we'll get you a boyfriend and she she sold out for all that and you expect someone who is that strong she wouldn't give into it she'd still be like hanging out with betty finn but i i think that's the it's kind of the power of her story is Mm -hmm. that you you can you know, you can go after what you think you want. And then when you get there, you realize, oh, like, look at everything that I've lost for the sake of getting here. What bothered me about Veronica is how little responsibility she has for this wake of chaos that she's... <laughs> she does get off scot-free at Yeah, the end. she gets off completely scot-free after multiple murders, <laughs> you know, creating this yeah. social trend of suicide. And you know, because the, the accountability gets shifted over to JD, you end up with Veronica being this heroine at the end and it's so nice and you know maybe this is more more satire that went over my head but you know like she gets this happy ending that yeah. I, I it's not it's not satire i think it's about flexible morality some people don't have that kind of flexible morality where they can say like you killed people but that's okay <laughs> yeah. because you're actually a good person yeah like trying to <laughs> yeah. justify it it's like it wasn't my fault i didn't put the draino in the cup like well no know. but not just that i mean if you oh, we were before we started recording we were briefly talking about girl with the dragon tattoo and you root for elizabeth Zelander. yeah no i mean she's got a yeah i mean her her moral compass is uh 
what's the word I'm looking for? She's got circumstantial ethics, for sure. Absolutely, and so does Veronica. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the film doesn't ever say she should not have killed Heather Chandler. It sort of supports that Heather Chandler deserved to die (laughs) throughout the entire story. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's just like right away, the very first thing that we see Veronica do is be culpable in cruelty to Martha Dunstock. Right. But then the movie seems to let her off the hook because she goes like, oh, man, and then walks away, sadly, as if that eliminates the harm that she's just created in another human being. No, but she overcomes that by the end. By the end, sure. But there's just, I don't know, like the the scales don't balance out, I guess is what I'm saying. No, I, I get what I do get what you're saying. I just mean that the, the film does not apologize for the murders. No. And nor should it. It's There would be no film if people didn't start <laughs> dying true. immediately. Um, what I find interesting with the Veronica character is that I was kind of in the musical. I was trying to figure out whether or not the JD character was a real person <laughs> because people do reference him. But I was just like, what if she like, and this was just me being, it's like, just like Tyler. Durden. Yeah. Cause I'm like, yes. what if she's like fight clubbing him? And I was just yeah. like, no way. Or this for fight club. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's, a, that's an easy explanation for a lot of things, but Veronica's culpability at the end, like you said, um, she has to live with all that stuff that she did, right? And it, she doesn't get off scot-free. She still has to remember that she was orchestrating all these murders, and she just kind of gets caught up with it, and she want, it's her boyfriend who talked her into it, and she wanted to go to the police, but he kind of convinced her to write the suicide note, and she's like, I got away with it once. It's like, we're not killing more people, so that's fine. Yeah, but, no, I, I understand, like, how she ended up... Yeah going along that path yeah and, like you 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 understand the whole way along and at no point do you feel bad when any of it is happening <laughs> until it's the the second hand harm starts happening where the you know the the aftershocks are affecting decent decent people instead. and originally she wasn't supposed to get off like scot-free with her actions i think i read something like the school is supposed to blow up and everyone was yeah. going to have a prom in heaven after so Basically, everyone is just suffering after together or partying in heaven. Um, but I think it cost way too much money for their $3 million budget. So they had to go something a little more low budge. So <laughs> JD blowing himself up and Veronica lighting a cigarette seemed to be the way to go. But I think when they were writing out this script, they're like, everyone is sort of going to be in this together and suffer for what they, they did. But didn't work out that way. <laughs> I think, though, that the film shows that those people dying it it came to like veronica does find the way to create something redemptive out of all the violence so even though like that's what makes her sympathetic that's what makes us not root for her to get caught by the police or something like that because she felt bad every time every single time and now that she's come out on the other side, I mean, she didn't really realize it until that moment that she's in the car burning herself with the cigarette yeah. lighter, right? <laughs> That's when she realizes it. And what is her first instinct? It's to damage herself. Mm-hmm. We already know that she's remorseful for what she's done. So she takes that remorse and she's like, I'm going to revolutionize the social strata at my school. And her first step is to befriend Martha. So those people who died all become sort of casualties in a redemptive war, which is a trope that we're used to like we don't watch lord of the rings and feel bad for like all the fucking wraiths or whatever they get killed <laughs> you know like you don't pity voldemort you don't feel like oh that's murder like no they're overcoming evil in reality i think it's a different story yes. and because there's so much school violence 
in reality, that's what makes us think about that now. Right. But in like 1989, we wouldn't have been. Was it 88? <laughs> 88. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We wouldn't have been thinking of that. No, no. Right. And that cigarette scene leads to like that super creepy thing that JD does when he lights the cigarette. And off you can just hear it go. Yeah. But yeah. they both light cigarettes off each other's burning flesh. Oh, at the end. When he blows up, her cigarette lights, he lights off his cigarette. burning flesh. Right. Gross. <laughs> Cigarettes are gross. Awesome. <laughs> Smoking is cool, kids. Yeah. Don't well, it. It's kind of like Wiley e. Coyote. Like it just blows up in her face, and she's got like the cigarette burning at the end. And I think it's really cool. And it's amazing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. So there, there are a couple like bigger topics that I wanted to broach. Yes. Uh, mainly because there's one that I definitely walked all over my own face when I started to talk to Vanessa about it earlier. In that, and again, this was me watching it for the first time, and kind of being shocked by the the aggressive treatment of homosexuality in the movie, and kind of having the line really blurred for me. Where like when you have the yokel cops being like, "Well, these is but pirates," <laughs> or like that kind of thing, I was like, "Oh, okay, you're making fun of people who are homophobic." Right. And then I was like, "It's 1988. I don't know like where the like mm-hmm. where people's understanding of this." was at this point and like they keep pushing those jokes so often and everybody's making jokes about like fag this and so on and so forth like it was i felt like i was swimming in this world of of grossness and there weren't any like as far as i could tell there weren't any queer characters in it that could kind of like be redemptive which i know the musical kind of takes it an extra step with that i don't know if we like want to get into like spoilers or anything or oh no i want to be spoiled who's queer (laughs) um there is this beautiful moment in act two at um curtin rand's funeral and they have like this joint funeral (laughs) um and their dads are like you (laughs) like right my dad kids so they've taken that line and they've turned it into an entire musical number amazing and um so, like, all these fishing trips that these dads have actually been on, it's kind of like a Brokeback Mountain situation. Right. That's amazing. And so, Kurt and Ram's dads are super gay for each other. Yes. And, <laughs> and we, yeah, we literally throw it in the audience's face at this point. It's set in a church in, like, 1989, and so it's super inappropriate to be singing about homosexuality in a church, and they're all just, like, singing and clapping and dancing around, and you'll love it. You'll, you'll love it right. when you and, see it. Right, and, and when I read that, yeah. I was like okay like that like that hits me like that makes sense to me that it was like okay like you're being a little bit more explicit about it that like no 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 like we're actually totally cool <laughs> as but you can to- tell throughout well especially ram and kurt that scene that is a satire because with that bottle of like bottled water and yeah. everything they're completely making fun of the stereotypes that people have but again because it is the 80s and movies we've talked about before. People were a little looser with slurs. Yeah, and I mean, the people who are being really aggressive about it and, like, making people yell, like, I love to suck dicks, like, those people end up paying for it in yeah. the end. I, and they, like, Veronica and JD use homophobia. Like, they're, they're like, even in death, you're going to suck on your homophobia, yeah. right? But... The only place the film slips up, and I think this is where sort of the the 1980s culture encompassing the film seeps through, is in that bedroom scene. Because while they are addressing those stereotypes, and while JD clearly has experiences where in the past he's been in cities where homosexuality is much more accepted in the culture, Mm -hmm. they still laugh. Veronica still laughs. Yeah. So that's sort of the audience where it's like, 
oh, they're gay. That's kind of, I'm still weirdly uncomfortable with that. <laughs> you know, like they just, yeah, it's they like can't where the quite... really shows. Yeah. yeah. Like for me, it wasn't quite clear if it was supposed to be that like we're making or Ram and what's... Kurt. We're making, hey, Kurt. Hey, Glee. Wonderful. <laughs> uh, we're making. Glee's not cool anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's over. Glee's not cool anymore. Kurt will be cool forever. Okay. Yeah, it's true. He's uh, the best character. We're making Kurt and Ram gay because of poetic justice, or we're making Kurt and Ram gay because it would be embarrassing for them to be revealed mm-hmm. to be gay. Like ah. it, it was, it was tough to know exactly what they were saying. So that's why, again, the the musical is just like, okay, let me clear that up for you. <laughs> I think and it's be the, awesome. The earlier moment where they're like, oh, say you like to suck big dicks. I think that's what's telling us mm-hmm. that JD and Veronica's choice is satirical. Right, and, and like I said, the cops, too. Like, their absurd reaction. And, like, they're <laughs> just, like, doofishness about... Because... Like, their total ineptitude, and then they're yeah. just... They're they're just encompassing this really close-minded uh, way of thinking. The local football heroes. Well, and that moment, like, do you like to suck big dicks? That's the moment where JD decides to kill them. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. he rides away on his bike, and you hear that... Amazing harmonica. Oh my god. <laughs> I like I knew that like the journey of Natty Gan affected me sexually because like <laughs> John Cusack forever, right? Okay. Yeah. But like it wasn't until Heathers that it solidified for me like a connection between girl boners and harmonicas. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. It's true. Yeah. Maybe it has to do with the motorcycle, the bad boy thing, Chris Christopherson. I don't know what I'm <laughs> talking mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. Anyway. <laughs> I'm just like, preach, Vanessa, keep going. (laughs) So, Dylan, I have a question for you. I feel like this is a common thing, again, when we have podcasts. Like, we're talking about these movies that I've had this attachment to in the past. And so that nostalgia factor is coming through. And that's maybe can sometimes cloud my judgment. Like, I can't tell a good movie from a bad movie from that time because I have so much emotion attached to it. But you coming at it as, like, a full-grown adult, (laughs) sort of adult, (laughs) man-child, <laughs> seeing it for the first time. How did it resonate with you? Did it seem really dated or were you able to look past that? I try I try hard in my life to be not necessarily sensitive, but just to kind of like be aware of when things are saying the wrong thing. So I think in my brain, I'm kind of doing that policing thing. So I was like, ooh, Heathers, don't do that. <laughs> so that was kind of getting in my way a bit. Yeah, and I don't know, it's tough to say because like, it, this is not my favorite movie of all time or mm. anything like that. But why not, Dylan? <laughs> but when Join I heard us. when I heard <laughs> one, one of us, one of us, but like when I heard some of the lines, I was like, I was like, yeah, I get why that's you know like fuck me gently with a chainsaw or like these. There are things that have kind of permeated pop culture that I'm like, okay, I understand. Like there's absolutely like this is currency and for good reason. Um, but the movie is so unique, too. I have to celebrate that. It's like if Breakfast Club met Gus Van Zandt's Elephant at the same time. Like it's, <laughs> yeah. it's such a weird hybrid of a thing. And it felt kind of clumsy sometimes, but I, I have to celebrate the originality and the bravery of it. And, you know, maybe I'm giving it a little bit too much credit for bravery because, you know, like you, you could not make this movie now and get away with it. Like no. you could oh, maybe no, no. do a special episode of Glee about it. I also read, because I was looking up facts today, and I was like, oh, I never knew this. The bullet name that JD 
gives Veronica when the, the he's Luger. Yeah, yeah, shooting curtain bullets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, ooh, you sneaky little bugger. Especially because she asks, he asks her right Do before, you Do you, did you take German? She said, no, I took French. So then he was like, okay, well, I know that you aren't going to get this thing, yeah. and I'm going to tell you exactly what I'm doing. Also, aside from JD slash Christian Slater being a pretty messed up, yeah, human being, he's like the dreamiest person in this role. Oh my God. That hair, yeah. those eyebrows. So like Jack Nicholson's sort of little voice he's putting on, like, man. <laughs> yeah, I do want to talk about JD because he is for a, until you hit a certain breaking point that I think it's kind of debatable where that is. I, for me, it's when she breaks up with him. Like that's when it's, okay, we're done. This is over and done with. Possibly even a little earlier when she lights this when he lights the cigarette, but like the movie does this great job of taking you along for the ride of JD until you realize that okay, this is a train I do not want to be on. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is going in a what? dangerous Wait, direction. Wait, so you didn't realize that when he started murdering people? <laughs> the first well, one because, was fine. because the first yeah the first one was kind of well yeah <laughs> the first one was you could at least wrap your head around the fact that maybe it was an accident or that it was a bigger deal than what they thought it was going to be. Even when she says, well, have you done this before? And the camera pauses and they both go, huh? <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose that's also the success of the movie at just making me want that first Heather to not be around yeah. anymore. That it was like, you can actually get behind it. And you're like, ooh, like I, I don't feel good about this. Okay, so something but. I found out today, because I know a lot of Heather's trivia, and I wrote down some stuff to share, um, which we may or may not go Show into. Show and tell. Yeah. <laughs> but um, something I didn't know about, and I found in a BuzzFeed article, someone, okay, I knew each Heather had a color. So, mm-hmm. like, Heather Duke is green, Heather Chandler's red, Heather Mac- McNamara's yellow, and Veronica is blue. But something I didn't notice is in that absolutely crucial moment when they're at the party. Yes. and it's- Yeah, the lights in the rooms. So Heather Chandler ends up in a blue room and Veronica ends up in a red room. Oh. Right? They're like, their, their conflict is represented on film. And I think using those sort of subliminal triggers, that helps us to hate Heather Chandler even more. I mean... Veronica gets a cherry slushy. You just blew my mind right now. I don't even know what to say. I'm sitting here with my <laughs> well, mouth Veronica open. Veronica like, gets a cherry slushy, yeah. and Heather Chandler gets blue Drano. Uh. Right. What? <laughs> <laughs> right. It's incredible. So this color play increases yeah. the dramatic tension for us, and we don't even realize it's happening. Well, and you see red throughout the movie, even after Heather Chandler is gone, and that's supposed to like further represent her influence throughout the movie even in death she's still always there right and it like it represents the power that she represents mm-hmm. as well because it's all about who's going to get that red slushy or the red scrunchy <laughs> sorry i'm i'm dying for someone to do a post-colonial reading of this film yeah. based on the croquet representing the british empire <laughs> i really want someone to do this because that would make like veronica like i'm um, like an indigenous person <laughs> in some sort of like you know, colonial landscape. I just that would be amazing. Like, Except it's no, but it's it's her croquet field though. Like it's her family's croquet. Of course, it's her land it's her that land. they're taking. So, is this something that you've taken into consideration with your production of Heather's, like the the different colors and kind of what what each girl is represented by? Absolutely. Um, green, obviously, jealousy. In the oh movie, my God, she calls herself Tweety. That's why Heather Duke is green. Yeah, she's jealous. Oh my God. <laughs> My actress is, she's having a hard time understanding 
Heather Duke's motivations because she's like, this girl is crazy and I don't get why she's always doing all this stuff. Why is she such a bitch yeah, is why, the real question. Basically, she's the only true villain in the entire thing. And it's like, but you have Heather Chandler who is kind of like starting off all of this evilness, but Heather Duke takes it a step further because that's just, she's the beta dog and she's always just, she's like, I can outdo her and I can be even more evil than she is. And well, and that's an interesting thing that Veronica brings up when JD kind of suggests like, okay, well now we kill Heather Duke. And she's like, well, no, because then someone else is just going to take her place, and it might be me. Like, she's aware of the fact that there is such a thing as a power vacuum. You know that was a dream sequence, right? Yes, but it's still, (laughs) you know, in her own dream, she's still going to have the same, you know, she's working through her own concerns, right? And she does have that fear. She's like, if I had the opportunity to have that power, she's like, well, I might take it. Well, she does claim that power at the end. She just claims it directly from Heather Duke instead of waiting for there to be a vacuum for her to fill that space. And that's, I think, an important distinction, but it's still... It still doesn't deal too much with the fact that having power, like everybody who has power, except for the Heathers, I guess, think they're going to be doing it with benevolence. Right. They think they're going to do what's good for you. Even if I am being cruel, I'm being cruel and it's maintaining social harmony amongst the rest of the casts. Everybody's got the best intentions until they until well, they get to the top. In the musical, Veronica actually says something interesting, which is she's like, the only one, I think she says in the movie too, but the only ones who could keep Kurt and Ram and Heather in check were, was Heather Chandler. So she's like, unfortunately, she was actually a necessary evil. <laughs> now, when we were talking, we were talking about colors and set yeah. design. I read online as like a goof. Like people think this is a screw up. In the dream sequence, they're in Heather Chandler's kitchen again, right? Yes. So the set for Heather Duke's kitchen and Heather Chandler's kitchen and house is the same. It's a dream. I thought it was astounding that people were watching this film and thinking, (laughs) oh, the director's trying to get one past us. Oh, they think we're thinking that's Heather Duke's kitchen, but we we recognize that that's <laughs> yeah. Heather. It's a dream. Obviously, she's replaying what happened at Heather Chandler's house and replacing Chandler with Duke. Absolutely. Right? I'm like, that's not an error. <laughs> they're like, they tried to cover it up with different lights. It's not. They're not covering it up. It's it's the same kitchen. <laughs> yeah. That was a conversation killer. Yeah, <laughs> no, we're no. like, well, then pack it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. Um. Well, Veronica's color is blue. I'm going to continue on with the color conversation because it actually surprisingly is very important when you do Heathers. (laughs) Like with the Heather. I mean, like they're basically Power Rangers for God's sake. Like everybody is blazing with the color. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Blazering with the color, you know? In blazering. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) Sorry. No, it's okay. Continue with being intelligent. No, 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 no. no. No, no, no. Well, that was like a power move in the 80s. Did you know that? Yeah, for sure. With like the blazers and the and the shoulder pads, it was to create a more masculine figure so that... Some mm. of us don't need that. Yeah. 80s design. <laughs> <laughs> the masculine figure. <laughs> it was, yeah. Um, which is also to show kind of like the power of the Heathers. But you guys posted something a couple days ago, which was, you first of all, you asked to be red, knowing that I'm always red. And... It's kind of like a precursor to what happens in the movie. Like, she's always wanted to be Heather Chandler. And she's... and Heather Duke is always, yeah, gunning for that red, yeah. like, ball. <laughs> she's yeah. got the crown in sight, and yeah. she's always there. And it kind of explains it. And even with, like, the Betty Finn scene later, when she's explaining, she's like, 
Heather Chandler wasn't exactly necessarily evil when she was knocking Heather Duke out of the... Like, the way she did it was pretty bitchy, but that's how you play croquet. It's like, you have to you have to knock me out if you want to win. Like, there's no... And it, she that's where Veronica is kind of like, maybe I was villainizing her a lot more than I should have, and maybe... She was more of a bitch than I thought that she was. <laughs> no, but she was a bitch. <laughs> no, she was a mythic bitch. And that's one of the lines in the... In the um, there's a line in the show where she's... It's like, and Heather Chandler. And she goes into like... She's like, she is a mythic bitch. And that's literally all she says about Heather Chandler. Since we're talking about colors, and I'm drinking red wine, and we're talking about <laughs> red Heather Chandler. Yes. They're playing croquet. Heather Chandler is the red queen. Oh, Veronica is Alice in her blue dress. It's like Alice in Wonderland. Stop blowing my mind with these parallels. <laughs> I know, right? Oh, but that that opening sequence where uh, Veronica's head, like that opening Popping sequence up from the ground, yes, right, like a bunny rabbit. Uh-huh. Um, the opening sequence of Heather's is surreal. We don't know if it's real or not. Yeah. Like, did they actually initiate her into their clique? By, by burying her. <laughs> by burying her and putting sod around her head and then, like, playing croquet off her face? Or is this yeah. a surreal representation of what this clique is? And it really does have connections to Alice in Wonderland. It's opening us up into this odyssey that we're going to have that makes no sense. There is no sense to it. Alice just wants to grow up and have tea, Right. Veronica just wants everyone to be nice to each other. The The opening sequence did a fantastic job of immediately putting you into a space of hating these girls. <laughs> like, just an astounding job. Where, like, step on the flag. Yeah, because, like, first of all, they're playing croquet, which is, like, the douchiest-looking sport yeah. you can possibly... And, like... <laughs> They look superior. Like they like they feel like they're better than everybody just by playing croquet. And I apologize to our massive croquet playing fan base here. <laughs> there is a lot of them. No, but it's like James Spader play, playing tennis. It's the yeah. ultimate nineteen eighties white posh yeah. like country club. Right. So like I hated them for that. <laughs> and then they just like trot across the garden with like no regard, to possibly kicking over a, like the little fence mm-hmm. in the process. Like just complete disdain for anything that's not part of their own i kind of love that about them though <laughs> i'm i i'm so like do you want to be a heatherian no i just i appreciate that they are willing to take what they want and they're just like whatever no everyone's gonna let us get away with it anyways right. and they do and then <laughs> well can we talk about the importance of that moment because that moment is reflected in so many slow-mo high school hallway walks yes jawbreaker like mm-hmm. mean oh, girls there's always the group of four girls slow-mo walking and it's the heathers in these movies the craft the craft scream queens which is the newest one absolutely like you can't look at jawbreaker have yeah. you seen that movie mm-hmm. yeah and it's that always movie. that dynamic there's the three that are like the queen bee bitches and there's the sort of outcast that finds her way in. Maybe this is going to wrap up the color thing. Maybe it's not. But the the most recent thing that I've seen that was like this was Mean Girls, which Vanessa, we've talked about at great length before. <laughs> which I make it sound negative, which we've talked about before. Um, but the fact that the the big color thing that the what are they do they have a name for themselves? The plastics. The plastics. Mm-hmm. The color thing that the plastics do is that on whatever day of the week we all wear pink. On Wednesdays, where we we wear pink. Mm-hmm. Right. So on yeah. Wednesdays we wear pink, and it's all about 
unity and it's being like the plastics are wearing pink today but with the heathers everybody has their own distinct color and they're doing the power ranger thing Mm-hmm. So I have a question. Or the Power Rangers were doing the Heathers thing because I need to appreciate Ooh, the timeline here. Yeah, Heathers would have come first. So mm-hmm. um, I need to throw the question out, you guys. Speaking of colors, which Heather would you be? That's not a color question at all, but I appreciate but, that you phrased it that That's a good way. question. No, where I think but, that everybody would want to be. And then say be, what color you would be after. <laughs> I think everybody would want to be Heather Chandler because she seems... Well, I, I mean, unless you're Veronica Sawyer. But unless she's you not really want, like, Heather. If you want to be a rape victim, you want to be Heather Chandler. <laughs> Jeez. Don't kink shame me. Anyway. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> like Heather McNamara, too. Like, there's um, that scene where Jay Sorry, Heather McNamara is what I meant unapo- to say, not yeah. Heather Chin. Well, both. I apologize. No, no, they but both. But it's unapologetic, too, and they don't even explain it away, like the what you're talking about. Yeah, the scene with the cow tipping. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, like, Winona Ryder walks up the hill, and behind her, Heather McNamara is being visibly raped. But which Heather will we be? We should do a roundtable. We should yeah. go around. Okay, well... This we'll, is a roundtable discussion, guys. We'll, we'll start right. with you. I have to confess, I would be Heather Duke. Because yeah. I was always the lower peg person in school. Like, I'm talking about, you know, the the past. I'm talking about the evil version of my personality. <laughs> you know, I'm currently more of a Betty Finn. But, um, and I'd love to be a Veronica Sawyer. That's that's sort of my ideal version of myself. We all want to be Veronica, yeah. Yeah, we all want to be Veronica. But in reality, I I was always trying, always trying. Oh, like invite me. I want to be there. Oh, I wish I was cool. You know, I'm gonna try and do that thing that the cool kids are doing, but slightly less awesome. You know, I'd be the Heather Duke. It's appropriate that you're wearing green right now. Shut up, bitch. Yeah, <laughs> it's like you planned this. It's like we talked about these questions before. <laughs> What about you, Dylan, if you were a Heather? The one that spoke to me the most was Heather Chandler because she seemed like the one who was kind of like if Vanessa Sawyer wasn't fighting it so hard. Veronica Sawyer. Veronica Sawyer, but sorry. I, I appreciate the Freudian slip because <laughs> I am basically that, Veronica Sawyer. That if if yeah. Vanessa F- Sawyer. No. Nope. Veronica Sawyer. Yep. yep. <laughs> Vanessa Sawyer. If Veronica Sawyer was just kind of like less sure of herself, because she's third tier, has no aspirations of growing within herself. She has the kind of it, this is a horrible th- lesson to take away from this movie, but like she has enough depth to like consider suicide. <laughs> Like, I know that's a really horrible thing to say, Legitimate. but I mean, like, of the Heathers, she's she's the one who at least, like, has the presence of mind to kind of, like, understand sadness and... Heather Chandler? No, I mean Heather McNamara. McNamara. God damn it. You mean the one who's in the bathroom who's trying to yes. get the pills? I'm talking about Heather McNamara. So, yes, yeah. yeah. Heather McNamara. Yeah, it was Heather almost colors. played, yeah. by the way, by Heather Graham. What? Heather Graham was supposed to get that role, but her parents wouldn't let her play it. Um, so my answer is Heather McNamara... Because I feel like I can just kind of appreciate her plight. Because I was never a... I wasn't so much a social climber as much as I was just kind of, like, bouncing around all the time. So if we're not allowed to say Vanessa Sawyer, then I mean, like, I was never at the top of the totem pole. But did I say Vanessa Sawyer again? You did. God damn it. Veronica Sawyer. You know, just, like, not important enough to be considered to be, like, the top of anything. But... I don't know, consistently present and just having like a a depth of character that the other Heathers seemed to mean you have a soul lack. (laughs) I feel like if Heather McNamara went and slummed it for a little bit, Heather Chandler wouldn't bite her head off. You know, she'd just be like, oh, that stupid girl again. (laughs) Yeah, like she can get away with it. Yeah. She's like, they they don't expect as much of her. So 
she can kind of benefit from those lowered expectations <laughs> because she she knows her place. And how about you, Ian? Which Heather are you? I think that if I were to be a Heather, and this is a blanket statement, I was kind of a Veronica Sawyer for a while, but probably now I'm probably a Heather McNamara. Which yeah. is just like you kind of let things happen. You're like, eh. She does have like an implicit cutting guilt because she does support this system mm-hmm. in a big way, but in the same kind of way that Veronica explains early on, they kind of you see the system happening and you see the way to win. And literally all these kids need to do is just graduate from high school and go on to their normal lives and all of this would not be a whole thing. Right. And that's what I said earlier, like the whole like it gets better. Like, yeah. Don't yeah. stop murder suicide yeah. people, you know? <laughs> Don't shoot up your school. It's fine. Yeah, no explosives. But it's, that's, again, I'll tie it into the musical. It's another thing. It's like, it's heightened emotions. And high school and musical theater do lend themselves very, very closely to each other. Because it's like, when I was explained things in musical theater, it's like, when you can't say what you want, you sing it. And when you can't sing it, you dance it. And that's kind of the rules for musical theater. So it's like, you have this heightened emotion. You can't say it anymore. So you start singing a whole song about it. And... That's when, like, tap numbers come in because you're like, too much emotion. It's beautiful. I wish that's yeah. how we actually lived our lives. Yeah. So, Heather Condrat, which Heather would you be? Oh, yeah. Heather Condrat, I like that. Mm-hmm. That has a good ring to it. I might have to make a little uh, name change there. I like to think, no, in a dream world, this sounds horrible, I'd be Heather Chandler just because she is so quick-witted. She looks great, great in red. All things that I would like to encompass. But I think I'm a Heather McNamara. Like, that in deep down inside, like, I'm a little bit of a follower. I'm a little bit of a pushover. I'm super sensitive. Are we all actually saying Veronica Sawyer, but we're not allowed to choose it? Is that pretty much what's happening I would like, also, I would like to think of Veronica Sawyer, because she's really cool. She writes with a monocle, which I would like to do in my life. But I just... (laughs) I'm not a Veronica Sawyer either. I'm never going to have the JD, guys. <laughs> the balls, right? Yeah, those blue balls. That's my problem. I With the JD thing, I'm like, I always kind of excuse him for everything he's done because he's so dreamy. And I'm like, I understand Veronica's plight because it's just like, but he's Christian Slater. I would be Veronica at first. I'm like, look at that hair. Right? Look at that smile. Okay, so I, I also want to know that well, at what point then, like, are are you all on team JD by the end? Because, like, when he's, like, down there in the gross boiler room and he's getting his finger his blown face. off. And, <laughs> so. Like, does he not lose? I mean, like, like there's, like, I mentioned earlier that kind of redeeming moment where he makes it very clear that he's he's feeling genuine anguish. But, I mean, is he not completely off his rocker? Are you, are we all, are we all still wanting to... Would you bang JD covered in dynamite is, I guess, the question. Yes. In a second. (laughs) Absolutely. What the movie does is it tells you when you're supposed to stop liking JD, but it knows that you still (laughs) want to fuck JD. You don't have to like him to, like, have to get down and dirty (laughs) with him, you know? It's the Bonnie and Clyde (laughs) moment. It's that moment when Veronica realizes that those weren't Ikaluga bullets that they straight up murdered those guys. And that's the moment where with Veronica, we're supposed to say, you're a psychopath. And we do. Oh no, not me. In our conscious mind, we say like, oh my God, JD's a psycho. But then you see that hair and he (laughs) talks like a 50 year old professor, which is like, just really gets me going. (laughs) He rides a motorcycle. But he's also like, he's not wrong. 
when he says you knew what we were doing like if right after murdering somebody you suggest a prank where it seems like hey wouldn't it be funny if we make it seem like we're going to murder somebody she knows she straight up knows what's going on it's basically like anal sex (laughs) like you knew what we were doing (laughs) you know like you can't bitch about it the next day (laughs) that is the greatest analogy I've ever heard especially because it's between <laughs> Kurt and Ram. Yeah. Also Ram, obviously the top in this situation. <laughs> anyway. They actually have a number in that whole situation um, in the graveyard where uh, the cow tipping situation is transposed to the graveyard and it turns into a song called Blue, which Kurt and Ram sing. And it's a blues number all about how Veronica is making their balls blue. <laughs> It's heartwarming. No. Yeah, it's actually it actually like wins you over, and you're like, these two are adorable, <laughs> and you're and they're like singing about like their balls being like kittens and stuff, and how they curl up on your face, and you're just like, you know what, I I'll allow it, and then okay, so all right, then let's talk about the music a little bit. How do you get away with that then? Because isn't the whole thing that they're supposed to be like at worst deplorable human beings? at best mindless jocks so by like humanizing them like that does it not make uh veronica and jd's behavior like monstrous when they kill them when she talks with heather mcnamara in the musical she's like so you escaped date rape by volunteering me for date rape and (laughs) heather mcnamara's response is you make it sound so ugly (laughs) (laughs) jesus (laughs) it's uh it's you have to kind of just go with the ride and by the time that they're singing and, like, the number actually does win you over, it's just kind of like this over-the-top, ridiculous Murica moment at the end. Because she outsmarts them, and I think this is kind of how the Heathers deal with them, too. They just are like, here, more booze. Like, by the end of it, you're not going to be able to do this. So. <laughs> right, because that's what she does, right? She she just feeds them booze. Yeah, until, until they can't they, perform anymore. Until they can't perform anymore, as opposed to she just walks away from her friend on the hill and then goes and shacks up with yeah. JD or like hooks up with JD again. And where he's like, chaos is what killed the dinosaurs. And you're like, I don't get it, but okay. <laughs> this movie is so casual with... But that is how high school is, unfortunately. What fucking high school no, did you people you... go to? No, no, no. Okay. Have you seen River's Edge? This is how teenagers and children, frankly, deal with violence. Girls these days. Yeah. Well, it's, it's not even these days. This is how it's always been. Uh, This isn't anything new. Every generation likes to say, oh, we're all going to hell. This is how it's always been. Kids deal with violence and corruption and death and crazy shit in a very casual way because it's the only way they know how to deal with it. If you look at a movie like River's Edge, which is incredible, Crispin Glover, you're looking at me like you haven't seen this movie. I haven't seen it. Dennis Hopper. Ooh. Oh, my God. Go home. You can be okay. Watch it. Right <laughs> now. I gotta leave. In River's Edge, they deal with a similar situation. It's not in a serial aspect, but it is like a murder situation. And the teenagers who who handle it, they have like a laissez-faire attitude. There's sort of a, you know, this happened, but also who's going to get me beer? You know? Mm-hmm. Like, how are we going to turn this into a party? What kind of crazy trip can we make out of this adventure? And that's what it's like in high school. Like, And in reality, how would your mind process like such serious manners that they're dealing with? You can't. 
you can't actually understand the full. Well, and I think too, it depends on the person's experience. Like if you're someone who has experienced really weird fucked up shit when Mm -hmm. you were younger, you look back and you say, yeah, that is how I dealt with it. Mm -hmm. Like, oh yeah, I forgot I was raped. (laughs) Oh yeah, I was. Or yeah, how did I end up in that weird drug den? Or (laughs) how how did I end up with those weird guys I've never met giving us a ride? You know, I mean, we all have that. A lot of women have that story of like 16 years old and there's some like 30 year old guy with a Corvette driving (laughs) you around and you're like, how did this happen? You know, Mm. and you're just lucky you got out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is how Veronica Soria is dealing with her situation. And that's how she's dealing with the whole situation, because, you know, it, it wasn't clear to me whether it was supposed to be saying that, like, teenagers are just super apathetic and morality doesn't get truly developed until later when you can at least put on the pretense of feeling guilty about something or maybe it is you know exactly what you're saying that you know that's an ideal place to be coping with trauma because you have this this flexibility where it's like well heather first one chandler Chandler. heather chandler's dead so i don't want to go to jail so let's think about this rationally and practically like nobody's Nobody's freaked out about this murder. But actually, the film says that teenagers are more moral because the adults in the film are less moral. They're more like June Cleaver and they're they're kind of more despondent. Like the parents are like, oh, you (laughs) like they kind of go through these motions, which are so surreal, including when they think that Veronica is committing suicide, (laughs) where they've they've obviously read a pamphlet about how to prevent suicide and they're just going through it notch (laughs) by notch. They are absolutely resigned. And then there's Miss um, um, Fleming. Miss Fleming. Yeah. She gets a great number in the musical, by the way. I'm just I kidding. love Miss Fleming. <laughs> but I mean, Miss Fleming is is reacting to the situation in the reverse of Veronica's mother. Veronica's mother is like, look, life is shit. You can smile and make your spaghetti with lots of oregano. <laughs> yeah. Or you can be sad about it. Them's the breaks, kids. Yeah. You know? And then there's Miss Fleming who's like, let's milk this tragedy. For all its emotion. Yeah, yeah she's let's the, get the news cameras in there. She's so gross. Out. Yeah. She's disgusting. Because not only is it let's get a public spotlight on this and yep. have me be seen as this guru mm. of teenage mental health, she's also the one who, when they're having their meeting, everybody in that room is cynical and gross. Like, the, the principal is like, I've never seen this before. What do I do? <laughs> is it a half day? Is it a full day? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> But then Fleming is like, I'm so glad that we had this opportunity to deal with grief. I was like, fuck you. Like, she this mimeographs is... her, like, suicide note. She's like, I took the time. I sent it to Mimeo, and they got it back for me. And she pulls out the overhead projector, puts it on a laminate for everybody to see. And, and like, it's so gross. Yeah, you're right. Like, the the adults, That's that was, an, that was one thing that really resonated with me, is that as critical as the movie is of how, like, pre-cynical teenagers can be, adults are not any better like no, that they the, are straight up morally corrupt the mm-hmm. dad just goes through the same dad jokes every day mm-hmm. he hasn't had an original thought in 30 years yeah. <laughs> the mom is just resigned and while she has some like amazing like she says the kinds of things that like lorelei's mom would say on golden or uh, gilmore, gilmore girls, girls yeah. where she's just like i'm just gonna tell you how it is and i'm sorry if you can't accept kind of the real world that mm-hmm. i've come to understand mm-hmm. like all the adults are are 
in different flavors, they're all broken too. Yeah. Oh my it's god! It's just a question of which kind of category of brokenness you fall yourself into. You can't blame these teenagers for being cynical mm-hmm. because they can see all of this happening. It's not like they're blind to it. It's like again with Mean Girls, how you know they see the principal for what he is. They see their teachers for what they are. They see um, Tina Fey for being this kind of pathetic woman who has a second job. Mm. They're like, we're not going to respect you because you <laughs> no longer have this artifice of what an adult could be. We're at that point that we're on the brink of adulthood ourselves. And you can't tell me that it's not okay for me to feel this way because you don't know how to feel this way either. You're not any more of a person than I am. Yeah, it absolutely captures that teenage experience. Vanessa, you said you had some show and tell. You want to talk about some some Heather's trivia? Is that the idea? Yeah, let's hear it. Trivia. Okay. So first of all, is this misnomer that Heather's was a commercial flop and then became a cult classic? It was a commercial flop, but that's because New World Pictures, which was the like production company for the film was on its last legs. This was the final film that they made. Ah. So they couldn't afford any advertising or distribution budget for the film. So that's why Heather's was a commercial flop. They couldn't even afford to take out like a newspaper ad in the LA <laughs> newspaper. Nothing. Huh. They didn't have a premiere or anything. So that's why Heather's was a commercial flop. It worked out though because it became a cult classic. All right, so, trivium number two. Um, Moby Dick was not the original choice. Yes, mm. Catcher in the Rye. That's right. Yes. Now, did you know that Winona Ryder is an insane J.D. Salinger fan? And the that reason, makes sense. Yes, the reason he is named J.D. is because of Winona Ryder. She also named the high school after Paul Westerberg of her favorite band, The Replacements. She was so smart. I know. She, she was 16 and she was so friggin' cool. <laughs> she, this is the stuff that I don't understand. Was this script not written before it was abs- she was It was totally involved. written. But you get someone like Winona Ryder on the scene, okay? Mm-hmm. Her father is an antiquarian book dealer. Now, I am also an antiquarian book dealer. Are you Winona Ryder's father? <laughs> no, but her, no. Yeah, her children. <laughs> my, my dream is to connect with him and somehow do some sort of book deal. But... <laughs> Winona Ryder's godfather is Timothy Leary. What? She was raised on a commune. She's incredibly smart. She watched black and white movies in a barn growing up. Okay? She's a total weirdo with these incredibly intelligent parents, highly educated, insane person, super connected to, like, the San Francisco poet scene. She's an incredible individual. She collects every edition of Ketra in the Rye. And I'm talking about like every printing of the paperback, okay? So when JD is named JD after JD Salinger, that tells you something. Mm -hmm. But because the author is a recluse, they couldn't get his permission to use the book in the film. That's why they changed it to Moby Dick. Because it was in the public public domain, right? Public domain. Interesting fact, Eskimo... E-S-K-I-M-O does not appear in the book. In fact, the book uses the traditional spelling E-S-Q-U-I-A-U. I can't spell it right now. But the other spelling. It's different. Yes. I also didn't notice it until I watched it this past week. So I'm like, oh, we've been entrenched in Heather's universe. But I'm like, I better just watch the movie again to freshen up. But right from the like first scene, you see Heather Duke and she is clutching that Moby Dick book. Mm-hmm. She's carrying it through the whole movie. Yeah, I appreciate the fact that Heather Duke is bookish because normally when you have like you have this divide between like 
academia and popularity or you know like the idea is that you cannot have a if somebody reads books they would be on the other side of the field that she would be a a a betty that's the thing i appreciate it gives them those layers they're not just who they are on the surface she's betty finn gone wrong yes Mm. that's exactly what it is yeah speaking of facts sorry vanessa to jump on this train but betty finn the actress is a sheen like charlie sheen and emilio estevez's uh sibling and she could have just been like another 80s heartthrob i guess if she wanted to be in that scene and then she went on to be in the west wing and partner up with the love of my life josh lyman (laughs) um as his like press secretary i think but yeah part of that little 80s dynasty right there Fantastic. Plus, the, plus the adorable fact that because she was Veronica Sawyer's best friend, it was Betty and Veronica, and apparently that was done intentionally. Absolutely, that is really cute. That's like the sweetest, most wholesome goddamn thing you could come up <laughs> and with. And she is, yeah, she is the Betty, the sweet and innocent, and yeah, and Huckleberry Finn and Tom Sawyer. That's where they get the last yep. names. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Stop it, guys. Stop <laughs> it. <laughs> now, did you know that the script was originally written for Stanley Kubrick? Right, because what was the phrase, what was the quote that uh, he's the only one who could get away with a three-hour movie? Absolutely, yeah. and the scene in the cafeteria is modeled after the mess hall scene in Full Metal Jacket. People- Ian actually just dropped this knowledge on me as we are walking here tonight. Again, <laughs> That's crazy. I, I, didn't I know came well this. researched. I promise. But that so is the- share some of your show and tell. Okay, yeah. Let's let's move the move the question this way. So, I mean, have you watched the movie recently? I assume that having been immersed in it for the last year, it is on my iPad, and I do fall asleep to it sometimes. <laughs> so, what is it that's really speaking to you from it, or what are you maybe trying to move a little bit away from to make it your own? Well, um, your, to your, make your it my own. own interpretation of it. To make our own interpretation, because I there is a kind of like a bootleg out on YouTube of the original off-Broadway production it has the understudy JD so you don't get to see Ryan McCartan in his full gloriousness but um, I'm trying to marry in between the two of them so I'm trying to there it is cult film and when you're directing a cult musical you kind of have to make sure that you make everyone happy who loves the source material and so the movie actually has struck such a chord with me that I I'm taking moments from the movie and trying to translate them to the stage, as well as using move- moments from the musical, the off-Broadway musical, which people are very familiar with, especially teenagers at this point, which is like a new generation of Heathers. <laughs> um, and you're, I'm trying to like marry the both of them. So I, I think I've made a nice, intelligent interpretation of both, as well as trying to make it my own, because it's such a new entity that I get to kind of create what I want. So there's moments where I'm telling the like cast and like remember in the movie when they did this try to reference that at least just a little bit like, has the cast because i know a lot of the cast is younger like yeah. um playing the students are around 17 18 mm-hmm. um has most of the cast watched the movie it's actually surprising veronica had never seen the movie did you just <laughs> hand her a dvd and was like this is your homework <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm trying to keep her as fresh as possible because mm-hmm. she's coming up with some really good stuff for Veronica but she's also we're educating her at the same time and I feel like I'm passing the torch at this point and being mm. like you're gonna understand Mean Girls a lot better by watching this yeah because <laughs> yeah. Mean Girls is Heather-esque and but it's not Heather's because nobody dies and it's kind of like right a lot more fluffy do we okay so like there there's got to be some kind of reason I mean you all saw Heather's and had it resonate with you 
at an early age and then for me like it just it never crossed my path until this musical came along and i'm super excited for the fact that it has and it's amazing that you know i've I've been able to to be exposed to it but is there something that has maybe fallen out of like the public consciousness that or is it that it's just like it's maybe because some unfortunate things have happened in the world that make it hit a little bit too close to home that it's maybe like it seems like it's for for some people it's hit that like it's an 80s classic but then this could be like one of those rare cult classics that hasn't actually broken through to the mainstream like this isn't big lebowski famous right it's just beneath that that it's still truly a cult movie i think you have to have a certain sensibility of being willing to go to a dark place mm-hmm. you have to be willing to look at yourself as veronica saying i know i just killed four people <laughs> but I still want to have sex with this guy. You have to be able to go into that mind place. And in 2016, it is a little harder to say you want to bang Christian Slater. So. What? No way. No? I All think right, that I... RJD is a very good Christian Slater facsimile. Just yeah. First of all, which is something that will people of fans of the movie will appreciate about our production. He is, he's just got this quality about him that you're just like, all right. <laughs> you're like, they actually do it on stage. And that's the thing. Veronica loses her virginity in the middle of a song. and Right. It's also like way more explicit in the musical, is it not, that she's losing her virginity at that point. As yep. opposed to in the movie, it seems like it's just kind of she's used to sneaking out of the house to go bang on the croquet court. Right. I'm not sure what it is. In this feel. version, she um, climbs into his bedroom window and she just kind of rides them until they're done. And then... <laughs> <laughs> And then we cut to the next morning, and that's kind of just how that moment happens. But it's it's kind of also... What I like about the musical, it has this really underlying feminist tone where this girl is just discovering who she is, and she's figuring out who she is with all this other stuff that's happening. But they're at the heart of it, there's this Veronica character who's going through a regular teenager, teenage girl's, I guess, life. And she's just figuring out who she is. She's losing her virginity. She's kind of figuring out who she is while murdering her friends obviously but mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's it kind of strikes with myself and i think it will strike with a lot of other people there's like that journey of self-discovery mm-hmm. i haven't seen the musical i mean all, all i've read is really a synopsis but i found that as i was reading it i was like yes yes yeah. like it was filling in the gaps for me that as somebody who was seeing it for the first time in 2016 it was like these are things that make it that much better that she has that agency to kind of like go out and get the sex as opposed to him sneaking into her window. Yeah. She goes and sneaks into his window and that, you know, the dads are gay and, you know, it's just like these, these little, these little touches, these little updates that make it so that, you know, if we're going to be doing Heathers in the 2010s, then how can we make it more relatable and, and speak even more to people? That's exactly what I think it is. It's the team behind this um, production, the people who wrote the musical. They looked at Heather's and were like, how can we make it for 2016? Because as you said, there are all these like nuances and sayings that we wouldn't be throwing around in 2016. And they're able to give these characters a backstory that maybe we've all created in our minds, but now it's just laid out in front of us. When I saw Heather's, the thing that really resonated with me was when JD is about to kill himself. And he says, say I did blow up the school, all the schools. Now that you're dead, what are you gonna do with the rest of your life? 
And when I first saw this movie, I was 15. And I came from a super evangelical Christian background. Okay. Been there. My parents got divorced when I was 15. And this made me a bit of a pariah in the community I had grown up in, uh, where getting divorced was not okay. And it sort of broke my world in half. I mean, to everybody else, my parents were like the Walsh family from 90210. They were perfect. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't like that on the inside. And it sort of shattered me in a lot of ways. And I had suicidal thoughts. I think a lot of teenagers do, whether they are legitimate suicidal thoughts or they're sort of fantastical, melodramatic suicidal thoughts. But I had them. Mm -hmm. And you hear that philosophy, that sort of bucket list philosophy of, say, this is your last day on earth. What are you going to do with it? To me, that's really stressful. I mean, (laughs) if it's your last day on earth, there's a lot you want to do that you're not going to get to do. Mm-hmm. Who who do you want to spend your time with prioritizing all that? That's that's bullshit. I don't want to live my life under stress of trying to maximize every moment I'm alive. But JD's philosophy, say you're dead already. Every day after that is extra. To me, that was totally liberating. So what I could say to myself as a 15-year-old wasn't, I want to kill myself. It was, let's just pretend I did. Let's just put that to bed. Say I did. Mm -hmm. And now I'm in an alternate reality where every day is a gift. And to me, that, that really affected my life. So in its core, what Heather's is about is the preciousness of life. And what JD is telling you when he's standing at the end of the stairs, smoke it up, baby. Smoke it up. (laughs) Right? Mm Mm-hmm. Because you might get lung cancer. You might lose everything. Mm -hmm. Life might suck balls. But now that you're dead, what are you going to do with it? To me, that's the core of the film. Do we just end here? Because that was beautiful. (laughs) I think it's also about kind of the journey of getting to that point where you understand that. Because the very beginning of the movie is we have that pole. Mm-hmm. where it, they literally get asked that question. You have 48 hours to live. What would you do? And everybody gives these... <laughs> Dylan, vapid, thank you. That is brilliant. That is blowing my mind. These vapid, stupid answers. And even JD gives this answer that as adults watching this movie, we're like, fuck <laughs> off. With my sax. I would go out in my boat and I'd listen to... I'd bring my sax and I'd listen to... Fuck, shut up. Like, <laughs> no, like, it drops Veronica's panties through the floor. But, like, to, <laughs> to an our, adult, all of our just my eyes are rolled to the back of my head. But once they hit that point where there's an actual crisis of this may actually be the last moments of your life, then it does become a gift. It's no longer about this vapid hypothetical situation to fill in something in a newsletter it's a real question and they get punched in the face with the reality that death is real even if you're in high school death is real as human beings we have to face this reality and it's a question of what you do when that reality becomes your reality and that's veronica's redemption she looks at Martha Dumptruck and she says, I'm already <laughs> dead. <laughs> no, because actually I think it's more empowering as a woman of size to say Martha Dumptruck. And I say to her, like Veronica looks at her and she says, 
I'm already dead. The person I was is dead. I'm here now. I'm a new person. And you and me are going to hang out on prom night. Fuck that noise. Well, in front of everyone, too. Yeah. I'm really glad she didn't put that rascal into reverse and, like, sound like a dump truck backing up. (laughs) (laughs) But it could have been so perfect as well. (laughs) You may have given me a new joke to add into the show. Yours for free. (laughs) You'll get a mention in the program. Uh, By the way, in the musical, she does come in on a rascal. She does come in on, like, a motorized scooter. For her last entrance in the like, can the she last please song. come on in reverse and have it be like? That sounds like a dump truck. I literally think that that might be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they had that backup noise in 1988. I may like, add it at this point. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we've covered yeah. uh, teen suicide, life, colors, homosexuality, um, quite a bit of stuff. Is there anything that anybody didn't get a chance to to talk about? Um, I would say if you are coming to see the musical, or if you are looking for the musical on YouTube or anything, uh, especially don't. for this, <laughs> yeah, don't. That's very bad. Um, Just come and buy tickets with MTP. <laughs> yeah, come to MTP's version. I have been very lucky to pick from the best that the city has to offer, and I have been very lucky to be able to direct them in such a wonderful show it's something that i've been wanting to do forever um as well as it touches on all these subjects and this is kind of like a way for teenagers to understand that it does get better but it's also a heightened version for anyone who likes classic cult movies it's also great for me heathers really does resonate especially i was not always myself (laughs) um especially in high school i had a lot of growing up to do and i had a lot of finding myself and especially as a just a gay person in high school it's really hard and especially the high school that i went to they did not make it easy on me but nobody says that life is easy and that's kind of what heather's kind of encapsulates as well it's like life is not easy (laughs) Um, and you just kind of have to deal with it. If you, you can get through it. you took the yeah. higher road, not blowing up <laughs> the school yeah. or <laughs> feeding people Drano. Now you're directing musicals. So Yeah. Being able to tell people what to do on a regular basis is really fun. Well, this has been so much fun. Um, I really appreciate the opportunity to you know, discover Heathers, um, to learn more about what else Heathers can be once it's kind of adapted for a different medium and you know in some cases updated for you know a a slightly different world than the one that it was created in uh thank you so much vanessa for coming on and doing this there wasn't as soon as the word heathers came up you know basically you talked more about heathers than about mean girls when we talked about mean girls so (laughs) so i'm I'm just so grateful that you came on to to do this and to have this conversation and to you know to share a bit of yourself uh in in explaining why this work is important so thank you so much for being on. Thank you, Deanne, for making this all happen. And Ian, uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing what, what your interpretation is. Um, yeah, this is really fantastic. So yeah, I think that everybody needs to take the opportunity to go and check out Heather's The Musical as presented by uh, Musical Theater Productions. Mm-hmm. Croquet, romance, and murder. 
If you haven't seen it, you've at least heard of the 1989 cult classic Heathers, starring 80s dreamboats Winona Ryder and Christian Slater. London's Musical Theatre Productions is bringing Heathers to life on stage with a musical twist. Heathers the Musical was written by award-winning creative team Kevin Murphy of Reefer Madness and Lawrence O'Keefe of Batboy and Legally Blonde the Musical and Andy Fickman from She's the Man. Grab your corn nuts and join the Heathers for this dark and bold comedy this spring at the McManus Studio Theatre from May 6th to 14th. Tickets are available at the Grand Theatre Box Office or mtplondon.ca. Woo! Yay! <laughs>